Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a special live version of our companion videos. Now, what are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get around to all the live questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those live questions and you support the channel, I want to make sure that you guys get those questions answered as soon as we can. So I gather up those unused questions and we address them here on companion videos. Now, I literally, like eight minutes before we I recorded this companion video, I just thought to my, I was getting ready to hit record and I thought, eh, I'll just do a live. And so I gave no notice and I just popped it up and we went live. And there's already a bunch of you guys in there. Uh, uh, Kazen is saying hi from India. Hello from India. Hello, everybody in the in the uh, chat, Mr. Ang and uh, Miles and all the other guys in there. And Daniel Luna just sent in a super chat badge in the live chat just to be supportive. Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, anyway, we got some questions to get caught up on here, but I want to tell you guys about this first. I mentioned this in the John Campus show a little bit earlier today. You guys know that Ann and I just went to, uh, if you follow the YouTube channel, you know we just went to see John Williams in concert, which was amazing. But this weekend, on Sunday, Ann and I are going to go to the Hollywood Bowl again to see a special presentation of Black Panther in concert. So what they're doing is, is they're playing the movie on the giant screens with the Los Angeles Philharmonic and a bunch of special guest musicians actually playing the music to the movie as the movie plays it's we've done this before for some other movies we've seen star wars in concert and we just saw princess bride in concert a little while ago and it's awesome but listen to this uh black panther was an international cultural phenomenon and the marvel uh movies oscar-winning score by swedish composer ludwig Göransson, who also composed the score for mandalorian uh, was equally thrilling in its unique blend of African influences, traditional orchestra, and modern production techniques. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Ann and I are going on Sunday, that music will be performed live to picture by the Los Angeles Philharmonic, uh, Senegalese singer uh, Baba Mal, and an ensemble of African drummers at the Hollywood Bowl. The experience will be an emotional roller coaster, Gorenson concedes, especially considering last year's death of star Chadwick Boseman, who is on screen much of the time as T'Challa, the Wakandan monarch who doubles as the superhero, Black Panther. I cannot wait to go to this thing. I, I think this is going to be powerful. I love the music. You know, somebody asked me the other day whether I preferred the music in uh, Black Panther or... Uh, Shang-Chi. And I said, well, listen, I think the score in Black Panther is actually the best score in all of the Marvel MCU. I, I literally, I, and I don't think anything even comes close. Like, I think it is easily heads and shoulders, the, the best score in any MCU movie. So uh, yeah, I'm very excited and getting ready to see that. Okay. Uh, with all that said, let's actually get over to the reason why we're here, which is to take some topics uh, that you guys are talking about. Oh yeah. And, um, uh, several Josh says, uh, Ludwig also did the score for Creed and Tenet. Absolutely. He did so well, well pointed out. Okay. Let's get over to it now, shall we? And we're going to start getting caught up here with, uh, Eugenia is the wrong one. Is that the right? No, no. Uh, P Sam Fisher is where we're starting with. And Sam Fisher writes, I was watching a reactioner show uh, his girlfriend slash fiance, uh, the MCU from Iron Man one. And I realized it's legitimately been years since I've seen any of the MCU projects, except recent ones like uh, Shang-Chi, Black Widow, Loki, Falcon, Winter Soldier, and WandaVision. I'm not a guy who rewatches movies, 
binge time. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while, that is one of the cool things uh, about uh, the fact that the MCU has like 20 plus now 25 movies uh, in their in their uh, stable is the fact that they've been around for so long now, you can actually go back and binge movies that you literally haven't seen in eight, nine, or 10 years. So uh, that's a pretty cool thing about it too. Oh, and by the way, uh, by Odin's beard, uh, sends in like a $50 super chat badge in the live chat. Dude, thank you so much. It's incredibly generous of you. Thank you for supporting us uh, on that level. Uh, and now I should point something else out too. Uh, should back YouTube is saying Shang-Chi dropped 64%. Newsflash. All movies coming out of the weekend on their first regular weekday have a massive drop from the weekend. They all do. That's that's what the movies do. So I know it sounds sexy to say Shang-Chi dropped 64%. Well, yes, because the weekend's over, you see, and that's what happens to these movies, especially especially popular ones. What you want to do is you wait and see how does it perform on its second weekend. That's the number you're looking for. Is not the you know, when a regular weekend is done, how did it do on Monday? Well, obviously, it's going to drop like a stone on Monday because everybody's back to work or back to school or all that kind of stuff, and the weekend's done. You wait to see what the numbers are for the second weekend. Now, a good second weekend drop is between 50 and 60%. If you get 60% or over, you're a little bit worried. You're, that's concerning. That's not good. If you get over a 60% drop, that's not good. 70% drop, which was Suicide Squad, is, you know, outright tragic. But if you can, like, hit 56, 54, 52% drop, that's considered a good second weekend. I think Shang-Chi is going to come in around that 50% mark. I think Shang-Chi is going to come in around that. This movie's going to have legs. This movie's going to have legs. Uh, anyway, uh, and by the way, Jordan Wright, um, sends in a $20 super chat badge. Dude, thank you so much for that, man. I really appreciate that very much. Thanks for sending that in, dude. All right. Uh, next up, we go to where are we at now? Uh, that was Sam Fisher. We're now at Eugenia, who writes in. Um, a study last year mentioned by the New York Times said that teenagers do much more social media and games and don't really watch movies anymore. That's no, that's not exactly what I was saying. And they do still watch movies, but we'll get to that in a second. Do you think that the industry is heading towards zeitgeist irrelevance by 2040? No. And could be, could streaming peak by 2030? No. Um, here's the thing. Um, and just so you guys know, like Joe K in the live chat, I'm seeing you there. That video was actually already debunked. It was it was actually already officially debunked. Anyway, uh, side side note there. Anyway, um, what the study basically showed was that teenagers today spend a larger percentage of their time on social media and video games than before. It's not that teenagers have stopped watching movies. It's that you know, there's, there's other things that take up big chunks of their time now, like larger chunks of their time. And, and that's totally true. However, here's the thing. The, the whole notion, the prognostication of the death of the cinemas has been prophesied at least a half a dozen times over the past 60 or 70 years. Like when TV came out, when, when televisions were first introduced, they said, well, that's it. Um, that's it. Movies are done. Movie theaters are over. 
If people can just watch entertainment in their houses, movie theaters are over. Guess what? They were still around. When the VHS got introduced, that they said, I mean, that was the thing. Movies are done. Movie theaters are over. Now that people can watch those movies at home, movie theaters are over. And they swore by it. They were totally 100% sure movies were done. Guess what? They just got bigger. Then when they moved to digital and you had like physical discs and digital stuff with Blu-ray, first with DVDs and Blu-rays, they're like, okay, now that's it. Movie theaters are done. But it wasn't. Uh, even when like Netflix started doing their mail order service, people were like, movies are done. And then when streaming services, as, here's the thing you got to remember. Before the pandemic hit, the box office had a record-setting year. I believe it was the third highest box office year in history and set a record for the most billion-dollar films in one year. Correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat, guys, but I believe like 2019 had like 9, 10, or 11 billion-dollar films. And then the pandemic hit. So there it is. But everybody forgets that the movie theater industry was extremely strong before the pandemic hit. And now today, everything's going again. Well, the pandemic hit. Now people are used to watching the movies at home. Yeah, well, let's talk in a year. I think you're going to see people will get back into the habit. of. They're already starting to get back in the habit of going to the movies again. I think October is going to be a very telling month with a lot of big movies coming out. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, anyway, we should, uh, we'll go from there. All right. Next up, uh, we've got, uh, Lord genome, right? Writes one of three recently. You once again, explained why you don't give scores. Correct. I saw a funny example of this with Dune, a popular content creator retweeted two reviews from GameSpot and IGN. The IGN review gives it a terrible seven out of 10 and cites the part one structure as a key issue. Sure enough, the replies are full of uh, copium talking about how IGN has no credibility and ignoring the fact that we may never see Dune Part 2. Great example of how people can get wildly bent out of shape over a number. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, that's, that's exactly why I stopped giving scores. Because to me, a 7 out of 10 is a good, solid score. You know? I'm, I'm not saying that the movie may not be one of the all-time greats, but a 7 out of 10 to me is a good, solid score. But I would give, like, a movie that I thought was very solid a 7 out of 10, and inevitably I would get people like that going, Why did you hate it? Why did you hate it? And, and people, like, just like, Because in this world we live in right now, either you give it a 10 or it means you hate it. And uh, yeah, it's it, that's one of the reasons why I, I kind of got rid of it. All right, that's why I don't do scores anymore. All right, Dangerous D writes, um, let's see. Hi, John. I was watching Lucifer on Netflix. Good choice. Uh, I just had a thought. Tom Ellis could make a perfect Superman. I completely disagree. I love Tom Ellis. I think he'd be a terrible Superman. Anyway, I know Tom can do an American accent when he was in the show Rush. I'm, I'm not we should replace. I'm not we should replace... Uh, Henry Cavill, I'm saying if he can't do it, I'd pick Tom. Listen, I love Tom, and all I care about is do you get a good actor? The reality is right now, while Tom Ellis's Lucifer is my favorite character on television, I honestly don't know how good of an actor Tom Ellis is. I just don't know, because I don't know him from anything other than Lucifer. That's it. 
I don't know him from anything else other than Lucifer. And seeing one person in one role only is not enough of a litmus test to really see if you think they're a good actor or not. Um, and so I just don't know. But from just what I see, now nah, he wouldn't he wouldn't wouldn't even be in my top twenty or thirty to play Superman next. I think there's a lot of other people who fit the role a little bit better. But again, and again, normally I just say all I care about is is it a good actor, but I just don't know how good of an actor Mark Ellis is. Or Tom Ellis, I should say. I keep wanting to say Mark Ellis. I don't know how good of an of an actor Tom Ellis is. I just know he plays Lucifer really well, but I don't know if that's all he can do. I just don't know. Because I haven't seen him in enough stuff yet. But so no, he would not be my choice to play uh to play Superman, even though I love him in Lucifer. All right. Mark 2021 writes, um, Hey John. So I took my first trip to the movie since Sonic the Hedgehog. That's, that was a little bit of a drought there. And I saw Shang-Chi. I never heard of the character before until you started to talk about him on, and your excitement encouraged me to go. And I loved it. I look forward to, uh, the spoiler discussion, which happened on Sunday, obviously. But to me right now, I will rank it in my top five MCU. But thank you for uh, bringing your reviews to my attention or else I probably wouldn't have bothered seeing it as I didn't know the character. 10 out of 10. Yeah, listen, I wasn't expecting all that much either. Uh, I, I really wasn't expecting all that much either. I, the, I mean, the marketing, the trailers for Shang-Chi weren't terrible, but it's not like they were great. And so I went in expecting a good movie. But I just wasn't expecting how much I liked. I would like it. So, yeah, I was very surprised by it, too, but very, very pleasantly surprised. Okay, uh, let's see. Next up, Ahmed Z writes, one of two. Hey, John, I was thinking after watching Shang-Chi, which I loved a lot, uh, with a fearful thought that will our beloved MCU end? Well, it should at some point. <laughs> uh, will it end in 20 or 30 years? It should probably end before that. Uh keep going forever or will it reboot one day uh what could they do differently than the mcu style um uh, i guess it's not i guess that's really one anyway um listen as good as the mcu is at some point it's just gonna get to a mass that is just gonna collapse in and of itself i mean that's why even in the comic books Every couple of decades, the comic books, whether it's DC or Marvel, they do some kind of big reset event, right? Where they just kind of like, whether it's, you know, year one or whether it's, you know, whatever, they do this big reset event where everything's back to scratch kind of, right? DC's done it a couple of times in the last few years. And so with everything getting, because, uh, you know, right now we've just had Thanos Wipe out half the universe. And then what are we going to do? At, at some point, we have Galactus. Okay, we got the Celestials coming. At some point, there's just nowhere else left to go. And as much as I love the MCU, as much as I love the MCU, they're now 25 movies in and three, if you count What If, which you really shouldn't, but if you want to count What If, four TV series in. I mean, it's at some point... It's just going to become such a mass. It's just going to collapse in and of itself. So at some point, they're going to need to reboot the franchise. At some point, they're just going to have to reboot the franchise. I mean, even in the comics, they had to do it. 
And that's a lot easier. That's just the printed page. With this, they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to reset it at some point. And, and probably, I'm going to guess not 20 or 30 years from now. I'm going to guess within the next 10, they're going to have to reset it. So that's my guess at any rate. Uh, all right. Uh, Stephen Wolf the Great sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Stephen Wolf the Great. I appreciate that, man. All right. Next up. Ahmed Z also writes, hey, John, I'm interested to know if you know, uh, did Bob Iger make as many mistakes as Bob Chapek is making in his first year CEO way back when? Nothing as headliney as this. Look, I, I everybody knows I think Bob Chapek is terrible, a terrible CEO for Disney. I think he's doing a terrible job. But. As much as I think he is doing a terrible job, and we've talked about all the reports and all the stories and all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and just this guy is botching this job terribly. But the fact of the matter is he did take over the job under the most terrible circumstances. The parks were shut down. Movie theaters were shut down. Everything was in chaos. That's not an ideal situation to take over. So you got to give him some credit. On top of that, it is still roughly just his first year, right? It is still roughly his first year. There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be learning curves. So while I would give, honestly, I'm not trying to be hyperbole like 10 out of 10 or 0 out of 0, but honestly, if I were giving Bob Iger a report card right now, I would give him an F. But let's see how he does in the next semester. And let's keep our fingers crossed that he can turn it around because God knows he can't do much worse than he did in his first year. So let's see where that goes. All right. Casey McNatt writes, um, uh, where are we at here? Casey McNatt writes one of three. Hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing great today. Thank you. Hope you're doing well. I was just looking at the schedule for October and boy, is that month packed. Not only does it still have the big four right now in Bond, Dune, Halloween Kills and Venom now coming out on October 1st. Anna and I bought our tickets today. Um, but also uh, we will have many saints of Newark, which I cannot, by the way, the second trailer for that drop looks great. Uh, the last duel, which looks insanely good. The French dispatch, the last night in Soul ho ron's gone wrong and also has a horror movie i completely forgot about antlers uh so what's going to be so that's going to be a very busy couple of weeks it's probably the most movie heavy month since the pandemic it absolutely is so based on the success of shang chi's box office do you think anything is going to move or do you think everything is going to stay put i here's the thing it's a little too late to move things it's a little too late to move things if they were going to move like Bond, they needed to do it a couple of weeks ago. They're locked into Bond now. They put out their final trailers with the final release date. October, you know, it's it's a little too late at this point. So barring some kind of unforeseen tripling in the spike of the very end of the pandemic or something like that, I think it's all going to stay the same. I think October is going to be a very, very telling month about where we are in the process of getting people back into the theaters, because here's the thing, while some movies have come out, there hasn't been a regular flow of movies for people to get back in the habit of coming back to the movies yet. There just hasn't been like Kong versus Godzilla came out, but then weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks pass. And then another significant movie comes out and then weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks pass. See, we're used to like three or four brand new releases every single week. That's the way it was pre-pandemic. 
some weeks, maybe just two, but usually it's two, three, or four wide releases coming out every single week. And we have not been able to get back to that yet. And October is going to be kind of our first real step of easing back into that sort of a, a schedule. So we'll see how it goes, man. Well, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how these movies do. It's going to be very interesting. And man, I'm really excited for Saints, uh, uh, the many Saints of Newark. I'm so excited for that Sopranos thing, man. All right. Uh, let's see here. Factual opinion rights. I like the movie. I'm going to assume we're talking about Shang-Chi. Definitely on my top 10 MCU. But I have to say, while I love the fantasy aspect in Aquaman, it did it did not work for me in Shang-Chi. I wish it was more grounded. I'm saying this as someone who doesn't read the comics, so please don't crucify me. Uh, like, listen, th- different things hit us in different ways, factual opinion. You make no apologies for that. You know, for you, that's the way it was. For me personally, I love the fantasy aspects of it. I mean, it's it's what makes the difference between just a, a regular martial arts film and an MCU film, but also it was a type of fantasy level that we haven't really seen in the MCU before. So, yeah, I get it. Listen, I love the, the grounded, like the bus fight and all that kind of stuff, but I adored the fantasy stuff. But hey, you know what? That stuff didn't work as well for you. That's perfectly fine, dude. Nothing wrong with that. All right. Uh, let's see here. Raymond Verrata writes, where are we at? There he is. Uh Wishful fans have been saying that Charlie Cox is the hairy forearmed lawyer in the Spider-Man No Way Home teaser. We talked about this on the John Campus show earlier today. Charlie has denied this, and now fans who saw Shang-Chi and IMAX have seen more of the picture in their screenings. It isn't Charlie. Yeah, we were talking about that. So in the No Way Home trailer, there's this scene where you see Peter sitting at a table, and there's an arm of a guy, right? And people are like, that's Charlie Cox! As Matt Murdock, his lawyer, that's who that hand belongs to. And it doesn't look anything like his arm. But anyway, in IMAX, where you had a wider screen and you saw more of the shot, then you could see it actually wasn't Charlie Cox. So, yes, that one has been debunked, Raymond. Absolutely. All right, next up. Jonathan writes, don't you find it annoying when you come across a new site or video that's like, this movie has a 97 uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, but here's all the things wrong with it. Uh, as if they're purposely telling you this movie sucks despite what everyone says. It's annoying in my opinion. I'm going to tell you what, Jonathan, I disagree. I, I actually disagree. I Listen, if you like a movie, it should still be perfectly... Like, here's a good example. I really love Godzilla vs. Kong. I had a great time at that movie. I had a load of fun with that movie. But... I thought, you know what would be interesting? Let's now talk about the things that, as a movie that I really loved and had a really good time watching, let's talk about the things that didn't work with it. Because if we're going to be movie fans, we should be able to talk about the pros and the cons. And if you're secure in your own opinion, you shouldn't have any problems discussing the negatives in a movie you really liked. Like, I'll sit here and talk about some of the negatives in the original Star Wars trilogy all day. Hell, I just finished watching the... um, Uh, Yesterday, I finished watching, what's it called again? The pitch meeting. You know those pitch meeting videos? The pitch meeting of Shang-Chi. I thought it was hilarious. And it's making fun of some of the the quirks of the movie and stuff like that. I think that's fun. I think that's great. I honestly see no problem at all saying, hey, something's really great. It's, It's like a sports analyst, right? Like, okay, they're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Defending Super Bowl champions. This team is is top-notch, top to bottom. Okay, so where are their weaknesses? 
Let's talk about where maybe that incredible team could improve. In the same way, I don't see anything wrong with taking a movie that's great and saying, okay, we all talk about how great it is, but let's take a second and talk about as great as the movie is, let's talk about the parts that maybe aren't so great. And we as film fans should not feel threatened by that. Oh, you can't say anything bad about a movie I like. We shouldn't be threatened by that. It's perfectly fine. And then you can agree or disagree. But personally, no, I don't find that annoying. I find it to be a perfect, legitimate form of conversation. But that's just me, Jonathan. All right. I mean, it all depends, too, of the, on the agenda of the person doing it. But, but ultimately, in principle, I don't think there's any problem talking about sitting down as movie fans and saying, hey, let's take this movie we all love and let's talk about some of the things that maybe didn't work with it. I, I think that's perfectly fine. Uh, by the way, our friend Jesse Keller sends in a Super Chat badge in life that chat. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate that. All right. Henry B. writes, one of four. Hey, John, greetings from Toronto, smiled stomping grounds. Thank you for writing in, Henry. Hope you, Anne, and the rest of your team are well. We are, thank you. I saw Shang-Chi last night with my family, and we loved it. The story was great, but the one thing that really caught my attention was the similarity between Wen Wu um, and William Money. Oh, from Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood character. Number one. They both had a ruthless past. Number two, they both married women who made them a better person and steered them away from their past lives. Three, both had two kids, an elder son and a younger daughter. That's true. Four, after the death of their partner, they had events that reverted them back to their former selves. Uh, The narrative of these types of men having their lives changed by women reminds me of a line in the last season of Spartacus, War of the Damned. Um. War of the Damned, when Crixus, uh, when the Crixus parts, parts ways with Spartacus and tries to recruit Gannicus in the process. When Gannicus turns him down and he looks at his woman, Crixus says, there is no greater cause to turn a man to turn a man from battle. I, by the way, I, you know, Spartacus is one of my top three all-time favorite shows. My top three all-time favorite shows are Battlestar Galactica, Sons of Anarchy, and Spartacus. So you you knew you were going to get me with that by referring to some Spartacus in there. Powerful scene. Powerful scene. And Leslie Ann Brandt, who plays Mazikeen, Maze, in Lucifer, was uh, Crixus's love interest in that show. Anyway, uh, excellent, excellent point. Good comparison, too, as well with... Uh, with uh, Unforgiven, my all-time favorite Western. So you checked off all the boxes for me there, Henry. Well done. All right. Jonathan writes, before seeing Shang-Chi, my three favorite movies of the year so far were number one, Free Guy. I love Free Guy. Uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines. Great surprise movie to me, Mitchell's versus the Machines. And A Quiet Place Part Two. Mitchell's versus the Machines was by far the most surprising movie as I had no expectations. Thought I'd thought it would be a throwaway movie. I was wrong. Yeah, listen, again, if you haven't seen Mitchell's versus the Machines, I had no interest in watching it. And then I heard some people saying it was really good. So one night, Ann and I were hanging hanging out. We ordered some food and we thought, oh, you want to watch this Mitchell's versus the Machines? Some people are saying it's pretty good. And we're like, okay. So we grabbed Mitch's, Mitch's versus the Machines and we popped it on and we really enjoyed it. It was really good. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really pleasantly surprised by it. It's a very, very charming little movie. It really, really is. I mean, I still prefer Free Guy over it. I still prefer A Quiet Place 2 over it, things like that. But Mitchell's versus the Machines was absolutely one of those pleasant surprise movies. Uh, by the way, our friend Dragon 10 sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Dragon 10. I appreciate that. Uh, okay, next up. 
we have uh, Tom Weyenberg, who is in Venice at the Venice Film Festival, says, uh, at the Venice Film Festival, last night in Soho, leans a bit much. That's the new, um, uh, why am I freezing on, why am I freezing on the director's name? I've only done like a podcast with them. Uh, I've done panels with them. Why am I freezing on the Scott Pilgrim versus the world director's name? Um, Simon Pegg. Uh, Nick Frost and Edgar Edgar Wright. That's it. I knew if I said Simon's and and if I said Simon and Nick's name, I knew it would come back to me. Edgar Wright and oh, a bunch of you guys are saying Edgar Wright. John Maxi, yes, Sam Wright, Richard. I was saying Edgar Wright. Um, yeah. So Edgar Wright's new film last night in Soho uh, leans a bit much into tropes at times, but Wright dazzles with spellbinding direction. Anya Taylor Joy is well joy, as in as in uh, Thomas and McKenzie, unique horror that captivates you. Saw it on my brother's birthday. He loved it. Um, was there a part two? No, he loved it too. Yeah, here's an interesting thing too. A little piece of information just came out that we all know that uh, George Miller is doing that Furiosa prequel, right? And he cast Anya Taylor-Joy to play the younger Furiosa. Apparently, this is how long Last Night in Soho has been in the can. Um, Edgar Wright showed George Miller an early cut of Last Night in Soho, and that's what made George Miller go, she's my young Furiosa. So a little bit thing there. I really very, 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 very excited to see that. Uh, excited to see that movie. Thanks for the update on that, Tom. Uh, next up, Jonathan writes. Can you imagine in the final battle, three generations of Spider-Man, Spider-Man versus the Sinister Sticks, comprised of Doc Ock, Green Goblin, Sandman, Electro, the Lizard, and Vulture? I'd lose my shit if that happened. Billion-dollar idea right there. Come on, Marvel. I listen. None of that stuff makes a good movie. Like, take that one Transformers movie. Can you imagine if you had a Transformers movie? where Optimus Prime was was riding Grimlock? Can you imagine if they had that? Where, like, Optimus Prime was riding Grimlock with a warhorse holding a sword up? Oh, my God, that would be the greatest thing ever. And they did that, and the movie sucked shit, right? It's any, any grade five kid can come up with, and then let's let's have Superman and and Green Lantern and and Aquaman and they're fighting the Harlem Globetrotters and the Pokemons and, and I mean anybody can come up with that. The thing is, do you have a strong narrative built around it to give narrative purpose to something like that? Otherwise, it's just noise. And so I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to get excited. I don't get excited about the idea of three Spider-Man fighting all the sinners. I, that that's a Saturday morning cartoon to me. Can you pitch me a great idea for a movie that gives that story weight and gives it purpose? Like you get to the end of Endgame, right? And one of the things that made Endgame so incredible was the fact that it was everything that was happening was connected was connected narratively to things that had gone on in the MCU right so even in that moment when when uh, tony and pepper are flying back to back up in the air spinning around each other firing off shots like that so that imagery is so anchored in the years we have seen tony and pepper together and their bond and it's all anchored in the narrative that gives it and makes it something special 
without that, it's just a YouTube fan video. So I'm not going to lie to you. I don't get excited. I don't get excited about the idea of three Spider-Man. I want to see a story that gives that narrative purpose. Like one of the great things about Shang-Chi is every single action sequence was anchored in narrative. There was always a narrative reason why this action was happening and why what's going on, right? And so that's one of the things that I really liked about it. Anyway, that's just kind of my take on it, Jonathan. But we'll see how they do it. We'll see how they do it. Listen, John Watts, the director of the two Spider-Man movies and is directing this one too, he's done a terrific job so far. So let's see uh, Let's see where they go with that. And uh, by the way, Mad Action sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mad Action. Appreciate that, man. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up. Connor writes, hey, John, I was wondering, do you think if the Sony slash Disney deal is continued, one of the Sony's terms would be that Holland can appear in their universe and the MCU? Also, if that was Vulture in the Morbius trailer, is Morbius adjacent to the MCU? Thanks. Well, those are two totally different topics. Here's the thing. To allow Tom Holland to appear both in Sony's owned and operated movies and the MCU, then you are t- then Kevin Feige is giving up a lot of control because Kevin Feige is saying Sony's universe is the same one we're in, but who's in charge of it, right? Okay, so Sony does, uh, let's say, a Craven the Hunter movie, and they have Tom Holland's Spider-Man, and it's supposed to be the same Tom Holland Spider-Man that's in the MCU. What happens if Sony says, we're going to have Spider-Man lose one of his arms, We're going to have Spider-Man lose one of his arms. And Kevin Feige goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait a minute. We, 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 have, we have plans for Spider-Man in the next movie where he requires both of his arms. Tough shit. This is our movie. It's our movie. We can do whatever we want in our movie. So he's gonna, you're just going to have to figure out a way to do your movie with him missing an arm because we want to cut off this sucker's arm. Now, obviously, I'm using an extreme situation. I'm using an extreme circumstance here to make a point. With The point then becomes, so who's in charge? Who's in charge? Who calls the shots? It ain't going to be Kevin Feige. Not in Sony's owned, owned and operated movies. Not the guy who's getting his paychecks from Marvel. So I don't think either Sony, I don't think either Sony or or Marvel would want that deal. I just don't think either of them will, will want that deal. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. We'll have to see. Listen, but as far as the Morbius thing, ever since, first of all, for all we know, that was a big misdirect, and it's not actually, he's not playing the same character that he did in Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, between you and me, I think he is, which raises a million questions. But for all we know, that's just a really clever misdirect. It could very well be just a very clever misdirect. And he might be playing a totally different character. We don't know. Obviously, I think he's playing. But then how does that all tie in? That is the $5 billion question. And we'll just have to wait till Morbius comes out, I suppose, before we know for sure. Uh, By the way, uh, Francis... Uh, Dionisio sends in like a $50 super chat badge. Francis, thank you so much for supporting our channel on that level, man. Like you're not even sending in, uh, 
not even sending in a question, just, just sending in support, dude. Thank you so much. That's incredibly generous of you. Thank you so much for that, dude. We appreciate that, Francis. Um, everybody in the live chat, thank Francis for us for, 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 you know, contributing and making these shows possible. Thank you, dude. All right, let's move on here. Orange Grove writes, have you noticed all the public issues against Disney have come from the Marvel side? ScarJo. Russo brothers negotiating stalling. Simu's harsh comments to Chapek about the experiment. Uh, maybe nothing, but a lot of coincidences. No, thank you, John. Well, here's the thing, Orange Grove. This is the thing. That's because the MCU is what most people care about. The MCU, so that's what most people will focus their attention on. And when there's something going wrong with it, that's where our attention is going to be. When like things go wrong, like for instance, a lot of Pixar staff were not happy. Like were frankly insulted was the words that were coming out of Pixar. A lot of Pixar's leadership and staff were insulted when Disney decided to drop Soul and uh, Luca exclusively on Disney+. Plus. They were like, wait a minute, we were told we were making a movie that was going to be in the theaters and blah, blah, blah. And, and they, the word came out that they were literally insulted. That didn't make as many of the headlines because it's not something we focus more on or that most of the, the fans and audience focus more on. We are very concerned about the biggest money-making machine in the movie industry, which is the MCU. So when something do, uh, does this, uh, Family Guy 204 in the live chat is asking, John, is this live? Yes, this is live. Um is it's going to get more attention when it happens in the MCU. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something to, to recognize, man. It is. All right. Next up. Uh, nerd, nerd, neurotic as an erotic neurotic sucks. Right. John, uh, neurotic did a review. I don't know who neurotic is. Did a review of Shang Chi. He hated it and used a clip of your opinion to imply that you are not respected in your field, that you praise garbage like Shang-Chi with no integrity because you get screenings and goodie bags. Okay. Um, look, I, I, okay. So first of all, you know, well, you all know what I'm going to say right now. You all know what I'm going to say right now. My YouTube channel is not for talking about other YouTube channels. All right. My YouTube channel is not for talking about other YouTube channels. YouTube channels talking about other YouTube channels, I will leave that to lesser men to do. They want to do that. If lesser men want to do that, feel free. My channel is not to talk about other YouTube channels. My YouTube channel is to talk about the things we love. To talk about movies, movie news, TV and streaming, and things that we love. And the odd thing that pisses us off, like the way Bob Chapek is running Disney right now. Uh, but, you know, that's my channel is here to talk about things we love. So I, I'm not I don't even know who this person is. So I'm not going to say anything about them because that's not what my channel is here to do or here for. I will say this something. I'll say a couple of things that you've you've heard me say before. Uh, number one, um, you, you praise garbage like Shang-Chi with no terror because you get screenings and goodie bags. Look, reality check. Um, the last premiere I got to go to before the pandemic shut everything down was Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. And I got a big goodie bag and I got to go to the premiere and I got to, I was literally got out of my limousine right behind Kathleen Kennedy's limousine. 
Like we were in the limousine line. Kathleen Kennedy got out of the car in front of us. Then we got out and all that kind of stuff. And what did I say? For those of you who remember, what did I say when I came out of the premiere before I went into the after party? I made my quick reaction video and I said, this movie sucks. It's going to work for some people. Great. But this ain't it. This movie sucks. You know, when I went to another Disney premiere, uh, Wrinkle in Time, you know, me, John Schnepp were there. You had all the stars there. And when we came out of that movie and we got the goodie bags and we came out of that movie, going walking to the after party was like, this movie sucks. This movie sucks. But here's the other thing you got to understand. Every single badly reviewed movie had screenings and goodie bags given out to all those critics who gave the movie bad reviews. I mean, so it is what it is. Look, the last thing I'll say is this. The last thing I'll say is this. Oh, yeah. And then Pablo's also saying, didn't you go to the premiere Doolittle? Yeah. And what did I say? And I took Aaron Cummings with me to that. And what did we say about Doolittle when we came out of that? Oh, dude, I got the goodie bags. I got all that. But it doesn't matter. None of that stuff is worth shit. You still got to give your honest opinion about things. But here's the thing, though. One of the reasons that I have a, a, a principle of not, I don't discuss other YouTube channels is because all of us in this YouTube channel space, we are, myself included, maybe more so, we are all fucking irrelevant nobodies. Some people in this space may think they're somebody, but reality check, all of us in this space are irrelevant nobodies. Let's just be clear about that. And if there are some YouTube channels that believe that I am so important and they have a deep belief that I am so relevant and that I am so influential that they need to talk about me, great. If, if for whatever reason you're deluded enough to you believe I'm so important that John Campia is so important and John Campia is so relevant and John Campia lives rent-free in your head and John Campia is so influential in this industry that I got to use my YouTube channel to talk about him. We're going to talk about Marvel movies and we're going to talk. If I'm that important to you, great. So I may be important enough for them to talk about me. The reality is they are not relevant enough or important enough for me to talk about them. Now, you've heard me say that a hundred times. You've heard me say that a hundred times. And so whatever. I mean, look, if, if there are some, if you are a YouTube channel where you are so desperate to create edge and whatever, you got to talk about other YouTube channels and that's all you can do to survive, God bless. But, and again, this is a speech I've given a hundred times. And so I appreciate writing, but I don't understand why you guys write in these questions trying to get me to react or say something about them. I'm not going to talk. Well, first, in this case, I honestly don't know who this person is, but I'm not going to talk negatively about other YouTube channels. That's just not what I'm here to do. I'm here to talk about the things we love. I'm here to talk about the things we love, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, and if other people think I'm so important, they got to make me the topic of their conversations because their lives are so small. Go for it. <laughs> go for it. Listen, dude, there's a reason I've been doing this for 13 years and I'm still here bigger and badder than ever. So, I mean, hey, whatever. Okay, we move on. Next up. Uh, but God bless whoever and whatever that person is. All right. Mark Needow writes, 
Uh, Shang-Chi saw it today, totally enjoyed it. One thing, air brakes on the bus. Not sure about that. Uh, Slattery was fabulously out of it. As per usual, Admiral subs are still open. Oh, we, we, ah, we were talking about in, in Brantford, Ontario, Canada, which is not too far from my hometown of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Um, there, there was this little greasy hole in the wall uh, diner called Admiral subs. that has the best burgers I've ever had in a restaurant. My mom makes better burgers, but the best burgers I've ever had in the restaurant was this greasy little, wouldn't use their bathroom, uh, hole-in-the-wall place called Admiral Subs. And it um, makes my heart happy to know that it's still there. It makes my heart happy to know it's still there. Uh, So, yeah, that's great to know, man. That's great to know. All right. Uh, Anthony Long. Um, tips in like $20 just to say, uh, thanks for the content. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate that very much, man. I appreciate that very much. All right. Uh, next up in Feige, we trust rights. Hey, John and crew. Welp. We're into a new phase, and the observation I have is, as much as I trust the MCU writer's pool, I believe they'll have a lot more heavy lifting to do in this new phase due to the fact that these crop of characters are less developed than the founding Avengers story plots. I think we're at a point now where this phase of the MCU is going to be propped up by the Disney engine and less by the writing of the comic book origins. All praise due to the original writers, though. I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how this thing goes, because like you look at the writing in WandaVision, the writing in WandaVision was crazy good, crazy, crazy good. I thought that writing was spectacular. I thought the writing in Shang-Chi was spectacular. I thought the writing in Falcon, Winter Soldier, Loki and Black Widow were serviceable. I thought they were serviceable. I thought they they worked. But nothing great. Nothing like Winter Soldier writing or WandaVision writing or, or whatever. Um, but it's 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 going to have to be how well they go. Now, look, we got Eternals coming. And Eternals is the movie that Kevin Feige has really been pointing us towards. And, of course, you've got the reigning defending best director in the world in Chloe Zhao uh, directing it. And I, I'm going to be it's going to be really, really interesting to see how that one goes. It's going to be really interesting to see how that one goes. Uh, by the way, Brooke Flynn in the live chat is asking, John, is it true that you used to live in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan? Dude, I lived in the Toon for years, man. I lived in Saskatoon for years. Crazy place, Saskatoon. Absolutely gorgeous, terrific live music scene. Uh, absolutely beautiful during su- summer and, and fall. But in their winter, they get like five weeks of negative 40. And for those of you at home saying, well, uh, John, what's negative 40 in Fahrenheit? Is that like five or negative five? No, no, no. See, minus 40 is where Celsius and Fahrenheit line up. So when I say in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, that we would get like five weeks of negative 40, I'm talking negative 40 Celsius and negative 40 Fahrenheit because that's where they become, that's where they align. Is that that negative 40 mark? And you guys don't know cold. You guys do not know cold. Like even as somebody who grew up in Canada, that was a different level of cold to me. That was like a different level of cold. Because we would have cold winters in Toronto and Hamilton. Yeah, sure, it's winter. Yeah, yeah, winter's my favorite season of the year. 
But when I moved to Saskatoon for a couple of years, that was a whole new definition of cold, an entirely new definition of cold. And Richard is saying Winnipeg's colder, dude. I would, I when I would take the train sometimes, sometimes because I was a, the the uh, the Canadian uh, railway, the train from Saskatoon to Toronto is a gorgeous trip, gorgeous. So I would take that trip a couple of times, but it would always do a stopover, like a half day stopover at the Forks in Winnipeg. Woo! That is another new level of cold in the wintertime. In the wintertime, like I would get out at the Forks in Winnipeg and be like, oh my God. This is like, this is like comic book movie kind of stuff, kind of cold, you know? It's, it's, so in Saskatoon, I'm not lying. This is absolutely, what I'm telling you literally would happen, okay? Literally would happen every day in the dead of winter. You would step outside and you take that first breath through your nose and you instantly feel the crystallization of all the hair in your nose freezing and becoming solid. That is a weird feeling. And then you would breathe. So all the mist, you know, the, the, the fog would come out as you breathe. But the moisture in that fog would instantly attach to your eyelashes and your eyebrows and if you're out, and I'm not kidding, anybody who lives in Saskatoon or Winnipeg can tell you this is absolutely the truth, what I'm telling you. After you're outside for like two or three minutes, your eyebrows are caked in ice. Your eyebrows and your eyelashes are like little icicles. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating at all. It would be crazy. It was crazy, crazy cold. Uh, anyway, sorry, I got sidetracked there about talking about uh, talking about Saskatoon. But yes, I lived in Saskatoon for a while. I lived right off of Circle Drive in uh, in Saskatoon. All right, next up, uh, let's see. That was in Feige. We trust uh, Blake uh, Black Cherry Zevia Gang. Sponsor me, Zevia. You selfish, stubborn, insufferable sons of bitches. Sponsor this show. Anyway, I know saying that isn't winning me any friends over there, but whatever. Um, let's see. Hey, John and friends. I watched the animated Witcher movie over the weekend and had fun. You know, I didn't even know that came out this weekend. I had no idea. I'll have to go back and watch it and had fun with it. A few scenes felt like they could have used more room to breathe and some just happened with no setup. Have you seen it? What are your thoughts? No, but thank you for putting that on my radar. But is this the one that's on Netflix? Is this like the new one or is this some old Witcher thing that I never knew existed. Is this the new one that we're talking about? Did it actually drop on Netflix this weekend, guys? Is that what uh, is that what Black Cherry Zevia is talking about? I'm waiting to see if any of you guys answer in live chat. Spying Meter saying, yeah, okay. And Maxi Yes is saying, yes. Um, Eric Wells saying, yes. Okay, I didn't even know that came out. I knew it was coming, but I had no idea it was coming out. Thank you, Black Cherry Zevia, for putting that on my radar, man. Now I know I'm going to watch a little bit later tonight. Me and Ann, and now we got a little bit of date night tonight. We're going to go grab something to eat. We're going to go play a little mini golf. It's been a while since we played mini golf. I love playing mini golf with Ann. I don't know why. Ann is also psychotically um, competitive. I'm not saying if she was down by one stroke going into the 18th hole that she would take her putter and whap me in the back of the knees just to get an advantage. I'm not saying she would do that, but I'm not denying she would do that. She's a little competitive, 105 pounds of Filipina fury. 
a little competitive. So uh, we're going to go out there and play a little bit of mini golf tonight. It's funny. I live on a golf course. I literally live on a golf course, but I've never played. I don't play golf. I've played golf like a decade or more ago, but I, I, I don't play golf, but we're going to go out and play mini golf tonight. So there we go. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up more from black uh, cherry Zevia gang rights. Have you seen the show on Netflix called uh, our, Arth Doll Chronicles. I have not. I binged it over the week weekend and I loved it. It's a Korean fantasy action show about the birth of civilization and nations during the Bronze Age. Plus, it has myths, legends, and heroes' journey. Never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Uh, so no, I haven't. Now I know there's that one Korean show that I really do like on Netflix called uh, Kingdom. There's like four different shows called Kingdom. This is the zombie movie, the period piece zombie movie or zombie show, I should say. I really like that one, but I've not heard of arth doll chronicles i'll keep my eyes open for it thanks for putting that on my uh thanks for putting that on my um radar though man all right just got time for a couple more quite we're already closing in on an hour i can't believe we've been going this long already uh jonathan writes okay shang chi is now officially number two and quiet place uh my two my third effing awesome movie one of the best marvel villains marvel sets a high bar for action overall and a yeah man i mean i just this is strange. That's why I was so pumped when I came out of the first screening of it. Number one, because I didn't think the trailers looked great. So I was pleasantly surprised, but I was also really pumped about it because the action is fantastic. The characters are great. It's got a fabulous villain in Wen Wu. It's got wonderful mythology. It's got terrific fantasy elements. The character dynamics between each other are wonderful. Like I, I was just, I was just impressed with it on almost every level. And being a Marvel movie, I really, really like the post-credit scenes, particularly the mid-credit scene. Um, the the very, very end credit scene is also really fun, but it's that mid-credit scene um, that was just another love. For me. I just totally loved it for several different reasons, which I won't go into here because I don't want to give away any spoilers. Um, but uh, yeah, there you go. So I'm glad you liked it, Jonathan. All right, guys, last question here tonight, and then we're going to have to wrap it up because uh, because we've gone about an hour already. I was thinking we'd go like a half hour, 45 minutes. We've gone an hour. All right, Beats by Lexatron writes, when Wen Wu sacrificed, yeah, nope. Nope. Sorry. Uh, for those of you, like for those of you watching the video too late, you read it. I'm sorry for those of you in the podcast, for those of you listening to the podcast version of this, I just saved, saved you from a bit of a, uh, of a spoiler there. So we'll make this the last one. Um, let's see here. Mike T 54 writes, Hey John, I love Shang-Chi so much. My question is, does this leave the door open for Marvel to reproduce, uh, whether it's uh, the Netflix version or a recast reboot of Iron Fist? Not sure if there is a connection between the two in the comics, but just curious. Well, I mean, in the comics, there's a connect. I mean, there's really a connection between everybody in the comics, right? I mean, there's just a connection between everyone. I don't think Kevin Feige has any interest in Ironheart or in Iron Fist. Iron Heart. That's something completely different that they're doing. Um, I don't think he has any interest in Iron Fist. They they botched Iron Fist so badly. It's just the same reason why I think Kevin Feige isn't going to touch Inhumans with a 10-foot pole. I mean, they just scorched Earth in humans. I mean, they just butchered Inhumans. So why try to fix something when you've got other things that are unsullied that you can just tell their stories? And now with the success of Shang-Chi, I don't really see that there's a need for an Iron Fist. Um, 
which is too bad, which is too bad because there's some really cool storytelling that could be done. But I think Kevin Feige is like, why would I bother dealing with all that baggage when I can just do new characters that we haven't brought to the screen yet? And I've got all this other huge library of characters already on screen and that we've yet to bring to screen that we can do things with. So, yeah, now he's got the X-Men coming, too. That's like 100 characters. So he's got a lot there that he's got to focus on. So, uh, yeah, yeah, there's that. Anyway, guys, uh, that brings us to about an hour. That'll do it for this special last second live stream of a companion video. Guys, thank you, every all of you guys in the live chat for being here tonight and hanging out and uh, having these conversations and putting in some information when I was frozen on some stuff. And, yeah, I just thank you so much. I have a lot of fun doing these live. I should do them live more often. We've done these live like three or four times and it's always fun. I should, I should just do them live. Probably. I don't know why I don't. Well, it's a little easier to record because I can record for 15, 20 minutes, hit pause, go grab a drink, stretch my legs, come back, record for another 10, 15, 20 minutes, hit pause, go whatever. I, it's a lot easier Then I can edit out anything that I think, Oh, I said that and that was pretty dumb. I can edit that out. Um, that's by the way, that's why somebody wrote into me a while ago and they asked, why don't like more channels do live streaming? And I'll tell you why more channels don't do live streaming because they're smart. Live streaming is uh, a, a bit of a bite in the ass. I mean, number one, there's a lot more complicated stuff that you have to do. Like I am, I'm constantly monitoring my audio. I'm monitoring the live stream itself over there. I'm trying to keep the, the, uh, the questions flowing. I'm trying to bring up information on another monitor over here. Also, I'm trying to keep half an eye on the live chat on the live chat that's streaming here, all while also trying to focus on and answer the question at hand doing live it's, it's a roll of the dice. Then any technical problem that goes wrong, that's live. Can't fix it. Plus, if you say something stupid, like like all these guys, and, and again, I'm not blaming them. They're smart. All these guys who do all their videos pre-recorded, yeah, you say something stupid or you realize you said something dumb or whatever, they just go back and edit it out. When I say something stupid or dumb, not that it ever happens. But when I say something stupid or dumb, it's, it's live. I can't take it back. Like the time I got caught doing the show in my gitch. Can't take that shit back. If it was pre-recorded, I said, oh my God, I stood up there for a second. You could see I'm doing the show in my gitch. I could edit that out, but I wasn't. I was doing it live. And doing it live, there's no fixing it. When you do it live, if people ask questions that you don't know the answer for, you got to just straight up say, I don't know the answer to that. I've not heard of that. I don't know that. Whereas a lot of other people, they do pre-recorded so they can go and research it, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm, it sounds like I'm shitting on that. I'm not. There's nothing wrong with that at all in the world. Nothing wrong with you going to do some research to give your audience a good answer. That's great. But I don't have that. When I do live, I don't have that luxury. It's live. So you got 30 different things you're trying to focus on at once. You're trying to focus on actually answering the questions. If anything goes wrong, it's live. And if you say something wrong or or do something stupid, you can't take it back. It's it's live. And we all know that everybody, including me, is just one brain fart away from some ill-timed joke that comes across as homophobic 
God forbid, from getting completely canceled and losing everything. And you're doing that live. You got no protection for yourself, my friend. No protection at all. No lube, no nothing, no protection. So it's uh, this thing. So yeah, it's uh, that's probably why I don't do the companion videos more because I, I put a lot of research and study and time into every episode of the John Campia show. Now, you guys have seen, I, I've walked you guys through my daily routine, right? Like we put in from 10 to 11 to 12 to 13 to 14 hours a day getting a John Campia show uh, delivered. And we put a lot into that. But these companion videos, it's, a little, it's just a little more winging it. It's just a little more winging it. A lot more can go wrong. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, guys, that'll do it for uh, for this here uh, open companion live companion video. Thank you guys for being here. Don't forget, guys, the John Campion Show tomorrow. Finally, we're going to get to talk about the Matrix trailer. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. I've been dying to talk about it with you guys. Now you guys are going to see it in the morning, so that's probably going to be our main story on the John Campus Show tomorrow. Hopefully you, you guys will come by and join us for that. And uh, for now, that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>